I have a little story for you, and I think I've said this, I might have said this here before, or told a joke to one or two of you, but um, there was a hurricane coming, it was about to make landfall, all the news stations are warning everyone to evacuate, uh, they're saying it's going to be the worst storm they've ever seen, and Josiah, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to stay in his house. He said, uh, I'm not worried about it, God will provide for me, God will save me. So the storm comes through, and the floodwaters start to rise. And as the floodwaters start to rise, Josiah is sitting on his front porch, and some men come by in a big truck. They beg him to get into the truck and evacuate. And Josiah says, no, the Lord will save me, the Lord will save me. So they go on. <clears throat> the floodwaters continue to rise, and now he's been uh, pushed all the way to the second floor of his home, and he's looking out the window, watching the people flee, and a big boat comes by and says, Come on, get in. We'll save you. Josiah says, no, the Lord will save me. Uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm fine. Now, uh, floodwaters pushed him all the way to the roof. He's climbed out the second floor. He's climbed up on the roof. He's standing on the peak of the roof. And a helicopter comes by, a Coast Guard helicopter. And they lower a rescue swimmer down. And, and the rescue swimmer tries to grab him and pull him off of the house. And Josiah fights him off and tells the man, no, the Lord will save me. So the helicopter goes on. Now, there's nothing left but the foundation. The house is gone, and Josiah is standing at the gates of heaven. And he looks at God, and he says, God, why didn't you save me? And God says, what are you talking about? I gave you days warning with the news. I sent you a truck. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. You fought with the men trying to rescue you. What are you talking about? And that's really where we are with Israel right now, as in the book of Judges, God has sent them so much already. He's done so much for them already through uh, their time in Egypt, through Joseph, through Moses, through Aaron, through Joshua, through all of these men. He's, he's given them every reason to follow them, and yet they're choosing to disobey all in the name of the Lord. They're still trying to worship God, but they're worshiping God in their own way. And it's unfortunate because this is still taking place today with not only Israel, but with much of the world as people are gathering even today, right now, sitting in a Sunday school lesson, listening about a God that loves them, but choosing to worship them, worship Him falsely. They've twisted him into something that suits their needs and their desires, their wants. But God is long-suffering. And we're going to see uh, the beginning of this here in, in Judges chapter 2. So Judges chapter 2 and verse number 16 says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges. But they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, sorry, that their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. 
They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord or walk to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord let those nations left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Now last week when we looked through these verses, we looked at Israel's side of this. We looked at how they turned away and, and what happens when they turn away. We went to the New Testament and saw uh, the story of the, the man who was cleansed of his evil spirits and, and the evil spirit was removed from the house and the house was made clean and, and, but nothing was put back. Nothing was filled in. And then we saw the evil spirit come back and find the house in better shape than it was and he decides to go get seven of his friends and come back and now the man is so much worse off. And we saw the state of Israel in this point and that they are about to become even worse off than they ever have been. But now we're going to see God's side of this. God is a long-suffering God. And we looked last week a little bit that long-suffering is enduring something that you have the ability to change. Patience is enduring something that you cannot change. As I began to study these two terms, I realized that God is never described as patient. God is always described as long-suffering. Man is almost always described as patient or called to be patient. But there are a few, There, I think there are four times where we are called to be long-suffering because we are called to emulate God. Those are the only times where long-suffering is, is connected with man. It's always connected with God. Because God has the power to change what's going on. He has the power to make it better, to make it different. We saw this with Noah in Genesis chapter 6. God said, I've had enough. The world is evil. Every thought of man is evil. His heart is evil continually. And he saved Noah and his family and he brought a flood and destroyed all mankind. God has the power to change it. And he will again one day. One day very soon, I feel, he's going to uh, rapture us out. The tribulation will start and, and then the thousand year millennial reign and then all of this earth will be cast into the lake of fire. It will be destroyed. A few verses. I've listed a whole bunch of verses there. We'll just look at a few. But Exodus 34. <clears throat> Exodus 34 and verse number 6. And the Lord passed by before him. And proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. This is the Lord uh, speaking to God, or speaking to Moses. In Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 14. And verse number 18. 
The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. How about Jeremiah 15? Jeremiah fifteen fifteen, O Lord, Thou knowest, remember me, and visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in Thy longsuffering. Know that for Thy sake I have suffered rebuke. God has the power to change all of this, and yet He chooses to allow it to happen. He chooses to allow us to make our own decisions. He chooses to allow us to find our own path. I wonder why he does this. Why why does he put up with us for so long? We have to understand that that God God craves worship. He craves fellowship. But he doesn't want worship and fellowship from something that's being made to worship and fellowship with him. I mean, husbands, think of this. Imagine if you had uh, taken your wife by force and, and uh, made her marry you at, at gunpoint and you expect that to be a healthy and happy relationship. You expect her to desire to want to sit with you. To de- I, mean, I mean, she wouldn't even look at you. She, she would... Hide from you at every chance. And yet, sometimes that's the way we think that God is going to be. God wants us to love Him because He loved us. He wants us to worship Him because of what He does for us, not because He's twisting our arm. God is never described as patient. He is always described as long-suffering. Four times in the Bible the word long-suffering is used in connection with man, and each of those times the context is exhorting us to be like God, to have His attributes. Israel here, uh, the Lord is is showing His long-suffering. In verse number 16 it says, Nevertheless, after everything that's happened, after all of the times Israel has already failed Him, God raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And then verse number 17. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges. They still wouldn't listen. They still wouldn't get it. We, we've, <clears throat> we're, we're dealing with several people and uh, you guys know who they are. And, uh, they are they're struggling. And they're falling apart. And we know the answer. And we've given them the answer. But they're refusing to listen. But they're still here, so God's not done with them. They're still walking this earth. We see an object of long-suffering in this text. We see Israel. Since Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, God has had a special place in his heart for Abraham and his descendants. 
Israel came into being and God made a covenant with them. He said, I will, I will give you this land. You will be my people. I will be your God. And yet, Israel failed. This Father's Day, uh, I think about my own relationship with my father and my relationship with my dad. I just sent them both a text uh, just a little bit ago, wishing them Happy Father's Day, trying not to wake them up too early because they're both, uh, well, one of them's retired and one of them's semi-retired. So, But I, I think back and unfortunately it's been months since I've reached out to either one of them. I missed birthdays. I think the last time I, I spoke to either one of them was Christmas. They, well, my dad raised me. He cared for me when I wasn't his. He adopted me. He made me his own child. He is a picture of God in my own life. And I am a picture of Israel. I forget. It's not important. Time and time again, Israel chose to look more like the world than God. They chose to follow the world and to desire to be like it. They were like the prodigal son, impatiently and selfishly seeking their own gain to the hurt of all those around them. I'm sure you know the story of the prodigal son, but if we turn to Luke 15... <clears throat> Luke 15 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And he said, this is Christ speaking, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all their arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. This is God. God is waiting for us as we've stepped away, as we've fallen, as we've failed. God is standing there waiting for us to return. Looking down the road. Seeking. God doesn't want to lose any of his children. 
He wants them all to remain in the fold. He allows them to venture out on their own, and, but always is always working to bring them back, ready to receive them again. I think about when I was 16. I had been my dad's son for 13 years. <clears throat> he had raised me. He had spent most of those years as a single parent, working three jobs, trying to feed me, trying to take care of me, trying to provide for me. And when I was 16, I got mad at him. I packed up all my stuff into the car that he bought me, and I left. I didn't leave a note. Didn't tell him anything. I just left before he got home from work. He called me later that night and uh, made sure that I was okay. And then he left me alone. He'd send me a card for my birthday or he'd uh, call and wish me a Merry Christmas. But he left me alone. I know it hurt. I have no idea how much. And even now, as he's in South Dakota, when we talk, we're cordial, but it's more business than anything else. I broke that relationship. Israel has done the same thing, but God is waiting. God is waiting for them. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 12. Christ again is teaching his disciples and, and he says, How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which were not astray, which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God is looking. 2 Peter 3.9 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is seeking. He's giving us a chance. He's giving Israel a chance. He is merciful. While we often like while we are often likened to sheep in the Bible, there's one major difference between us and sheep. And that's our will. God gave us a free will starting with Adam and Eve when he created us. This isn't present in sheep. Sheep stray because they are seeking pasture or water. I think about this horse out here that keeps sticking its head through the fence trying to eat the grass on, in our yard. It's not that it's trying to break the fence. It's just that it wants something that's out there. And it has no 
control. It just goes for what it wants. We stray because we choose to. For this same reason, God doesn't just go out and drag us back like the shepherd in in this parable. A sheep doesn't know the difference between in his shepherd. It doesn't affect the sheep if the shepherd is angry or tired or hungry. We, on the other hand, have emotions that affect the way we interact with each other and with God. More often than not, if God was to grab us by the hand and drag us back from the danger, we would kick and scream and fight. Josiah did in our story first thing this morning. If he was successful in bringing us back, we would still have that spirit of rebellion in our hearts. And we would be searching for every opportunity to run. We see this in Genesis 19. Genesis 19 is the story of Lot. uh, Part of the story of Lot. But it's the story of God going and destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19 and... Verse number 1, now we know that God had met with Abraham. Abraham had begged and pleaded with God that if he found uh, 50 righteous, God wouldn't destroy the city. It got all the way down to where he found 10 righteous, God wouldn't destroy the city. Because Abraham knew that's where Lot was. And I'm sure Abraham's counting Lot and his wife. And he's got two daughters, and then he's got two other daughters with two sons-in-laws. That's eight. Surely, surely, there'll be ten, and God will save the city. But in verse number one, the two angels come to Sodom. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. And he said, Behold, and he said, Behold now, my lords, <clears throat> turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. And ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. If we skip down a little bit to verse number 15. It says, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. They had to drag him out of the danger. Yet, we skip down a little farther. We see Lot's wife turns back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. 
the angels tell him to flee to the mountains. And he looks and he sees a small city and he says, No, let us go to the city. Let us go to Zoar. He's constantly rebelling. God has just drug him out of the city, saved him for his sake and for Abraham's sake, and yet his heart is still in Sodom. While God is long-suffering and full of mercy and grace, it's only for so long. God is also full of knowledge. And He knows the beginning and the end. He knows what it will take to get us to choose to return to Him. And if we will make that decision. This is the difference between patience and long-suffering. God knows the outcome and He has the ability to make the circumstance stop. There will come a time very soon when the last person alive will choose Christ and God will rapture out His children. Then He will punish those who have refused to believe just as He did with Egypt. Our lives likewise have an expiration date. We don't know when it will be, but God does. One day, each and every one of us will have planted the last seed that we are to plant and harvested the last fruit on our list. Then God will take us home and our work will be done. If you're still here on earth, and you are because you're listening to me, God is not done with you. He's either trying to convince you to return to His fold or He's working through you to bring someone else back. Either way, we need to obey. Our Heavenly Father loves us that much. He loves us so much that He's willing to let us walk away and constantly trying to bring us back. Fathers, I pray that you're like that today with your own children. But not only that, I pray that you get the vision of your Heavenly Father and help Him seek His children. The ninety and nine sheep that stayed behind, stayed behind. They didn't go look for the lost. Let's look for those lost. And I know we are. We are here. We're serving in Maxwell. We're we're trying to reach into this community. Let's not grow, grow weary. Search is hard. The days are long. Let's take strength in the Lord and do His will.